black swan with the boy sling. All right, hey y'all, welcome to Water Break with Waterboy, Thursday afternoon, hope you guys are having a good week, it's good to be with you guys, a couple things to get before I get into our guest that I have with us today, uh, first, our conference in Nashville, September 9th through the 11th, uh, we're very excited about it, registration's live now, if you're a club member, you can log into your club portal to kind of get access to the discounted rate, if you aren't a club member, you can go to the main fightlifefeast.com, uh, click on the events page, and click Tennessee Conference. And we look forward to seeing you guys there in September. Very excited. Uh, we have Pastor Wilson, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Toby, Doug Tenaple, David Bonson, and we got Pastor Vody Bacham coming uh, in September. So hope to, hope to see you guys out there uh, in September. And then, of course, we got a bunch of SWAT talks on the, the next day on Saturday. A bunch of people coming out for that uh, three three-hour breakout SWAT talk sessions with about uh, 20 speakers or so in that process. Really excited for what we're doing there in Nashville and hope to see you guys there. If you haven't subscribed to our magazine, you can subscribe now actually to our magazine and still get into the next issue for, for June. Um, and anybody who subscribes in June will be able to get uh, this next uh, edition coming out. So go to our website, subscribe there. Uh, lastly, we got two university courses happening right now. Uh, you can't miss out, man. We got Jesse Sumter talking about education as warfare. That's a university course. It'll be about uh, seven uh, classes, um, in-person Zoom classes over the next uh, seven weeks starting in July. And uh, uh, Jesse's going to be talking about how to kind of start Christian schools, how to think about Christian education. It should be a great you know, class and kind of set of tools for you and your family. Uh, we have another class with comedian John Branion. Comedian John Brandon, I'm excited about this class. Uh, Life is hearty har har. Uh, it's a great uh, class on learning about comedy, and actually, it'll kind of teach you on how to think about how you need to talk, be talking, presenting, thinking about these things. Uh, so it should be a very good, uh, fun class there. And of course, John Brandon is going to be in person on Zoom. You'll be able to communicate with him, talk with him, hang out with him during those kind of the next seven weeks. And again, that class is also starting in July. I think I've hit on everything. If I haven't. Oh, well, it's been a crazy week. As you guys know, David was at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, this last week, having some fun, raising some hell over there. And uh, so he's going to be back in the studio. We'll be our, our, uh, recording our show, our live show, our Sunday special tomorrow for Sunday night. So we're going to have him back in the studio, and we got a fun Sunday special planned for you guys uh, this coming Sunday night. So with, um, with that much said, wrapped up all that, uh, we got – I have uh, Dean, and now you're going to have to – correct me here on how to say your last name what we were kind of joking around um is it old 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 odell odell it's odell like yodel odell that's where i went that's where i went i couldn't do that live because i just uh i couldn't do it so it's dean odell uh he was actually yeah thank you he was actually uh, born and raised in alabama uh, and I, I like to refer to the Alabama. I was born and raised in Texas. As, uh, Alabama's like the redheaded stepchild of Texas. So, well. <laughs> we are a red state. We are. And he's a he's a church planner and and a current pastor um, of Fire and Grace Church. Did I get it right? Yes. Awesome. Yes. In, and he's in Opelika, Alabama. We're right next door to Auburn University. Okay. Okay. And then he's also, for whatever reason, running. For Governor of Alabama, Dean, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So what is possessing you as a pastor to run for Governor of Idaho? Don't you have, don't you have enough sin to deal with? 
Well, um, yeah, you know, our, our church, you know, our church is small. Um, we're only about 60 members or so, but uh, we, we've had for many years, long before the COVID crisis, we had a online presence. So we've got tens of thousands, we've got about 24,000 subscribers and we had thousands of people that listen every week. And so, uh, I'm, I'm very busy. Um, we have people visiting all the time that are our online family that come here and, uh, so we're ministering to them a lot. And then, of course, we started a ministry school uh, in 2018. So as I've been telling people, I really didn't need another job. But I really, to be honest, after I saw how the coronavirus was being handled in our state by, uh, you know, allegedly the Republican governor that we have now, and just a lot of things that were disturbing me, and, of course, the way the 2020 election went, I felt the Lord leading me to run for governor of Alabama, but um, uh, there were so many issues also there that I just felt like win or lose, they needed to be addressed. Right. And um, and so I'm, I'm talking about things others are not going to talk about. You know, I think for me, I'm, so I'm in Idaho, and I, the same thing happened to me with our governor here in Idaho where, you know, he bills himself as a Republican, but then, the, you know, this whole corona pandemic one of the things that it has revealed to me is just about how unprincipled even our supposed kind of stronger state conservative republican states have been uh you know what have you learned about your governor in all this in this last year well you know our governor came in in a situation where the previous governor bentley had been caught in an an affair and, and he was using state funds and things to try to cover it up and facilitate it so he was either going to have forced to step down or he would, they, they were going to impeach him. So she took over, uh, in, uh, what was it? 2016, 17. Okay. And then she ran for reelection and everybody thought, you know, she's just a sweet Southern grandma mm-hmm. until of course she ran on not raising taxes. And then the first thing she did when she was reelected, uh, was raise our gas tax. The, the, you know, so, so yeah. she ticked off a lot of people right there and she strong armed a lot of our, legislators. And then, of course, when the coronavirus thing happened, um, of course, early on, very early on in February, uh, just as a pastor, I wasn't even thinking about running for office. It wasn't anywhere in my mind. Yeah. But in February, I, I remember, you know, hearing Dr. Uh, Didier Raoul of France, who's the number one virologist, microbiologist in yeah. the world, say game over for coronavirus, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, azithromycin, it's, it's saving over 90% of our patients. Yeah. And he was, you know, and so I heard that. And of course, uh, Dr. Todoro, Columbia doctor came out. Other doctors were, were talking about this Harvard, Yale. Yeah. Um, well, the first doctor, line doctors uh, back in April were talking about this and they got yes. canceled. Dr. Todoro, he was one of the front line. He joined them. Um, Dr. Zelenko in New York. Of course, Dr. Harvey Reich, who's the professor of epidemiology at Yale, yeah. um, did an article in Newsweek magazine saying, what are we doing? People are dying and they don't have to be dying. We have a treatment that's safe and effective. Right. And so when I, and of course then Trump made it public in, in mid March. Um, so I looked, I, when I saw my own governor, governor KIV, my uh, Lieutenant governor, Will Ainsworth, our state health director, um, all claiming to be conservatives, claiming to be Christians and not even mentioning this, yep. uh, following, you know, the CDC and Fauci and to the letter, and then really violating our First Amendment rights by shutting down churches and businesses yep. and schools. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, I saw that my, and my, my dear wife, Nancy, she was so frustrated. She was like, honey, what do we do? What, what can we do? It's like, we're, we're under this, a Nazi regime now that doesn't respect the first amendment. And I was like, yeah. well, I said, apart from taking up arms, I said, uh, we, we run for office and try to change things. And she right. was the first one to say, you could run for governor. Yeah. <laughs> and then I laughed and then I went into prayer and the Lord said, that's, exactly <laughs> that's funny. Now, uh, I, I don't know if you know much of my story. I was actually, um, uh, we were, my church was protesting the shutdown and we went in front of our little city hall here in Moscow, Idaho, and we were singing Psalms in the parking lot in city hall. And I got arrested for singing. I saw songs. that video. Yeah. I did not know that was you. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was me and, um, you know, created a big firestorm, national firestorm. Trump ended up retweeting it and all that stuff. Um, and I remember just how, uh, there was actually a couple politicians in my region, nothing in my county. No one in my county came to my defense. Um, the governor sure as heck didn't come to my defense. In fact, um, I was on the state lawsuit back in July last year against the governor because the governor had shut down churches. And yes. and so we, a bunch of us, got together and sued him. And as soon as that lawsuit uh, broke, he removed that restriction. So the lawsuit became kind of a moot point. Uh, and everything. And so, uh, we had a good success there. We fought him, we fought him for it, but you know, we're in this, we're in this crazy situation where I think you just kind of illustrated in your state where all these conservatives just kind of buckled and went along with kind of the rest of the situation. Even governor DeSantis, who's getting all this, you know, praise for right now, what's going on in Florida. Well, he started off pretty bad too. You know, I, I understand. To me, I think what I, one of the things I've learned this last year is that our politicians are not really, let's say, principally governed like we would like them to be. They're more pressured governed. They're more pressure driven. And that's what I think happened to all these politicians. A lot of pressure came in, let's say, nationally or from the business community or from, you know, whatever happened there. It, to me, it was more a, a pressure thing that changed the, their politics, not, not principles. And so how would, how would you be, how, if you were governor this last year, how would you be handling this whole situation? Well, of course, what I do and what I've always done, I've been a minister for 34 years. I'm an author. I write. So I study and I research things before I make decisions. And, you know, it didn't take me long to figure out that we had several safe and effective treatments and, and knowing that, that we had a safe and effective treatment, which I saw save one of my friends, a fellow pastor's life, because he was dying in the hospital with COVID. We had to get him to leave. Another doc, We got another doctor to get him some hydroxychloroquine, wow. and he lived. I mean, he, he had double pneumonia. So when I, when I saw that, it's just like we have, we have got to have leaders who don't follow. Number one, we know that the institutions in our government, from the most part, FDA, CDC, mm -hmm. uh, NIH, they've been corrupt. They've been corrupted by the pharmaceutical companies for many, many years because they feed them, you know, billions of dollars. And we can't trust them. And we need to do our own research and look outside mm -hmm. the box. We can't trust the liberal media in America to tell us the truth mm -hmm. uh, because they have an agenda, a socialist agenda. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to dig outside, and that's that's really one of my main issues. Is I was like, we have to have true leadership right. that's going to look through all of this stuff, the propaganda, the lies, the the deception, and find out what's true and what's going to save people's lives and protect the people. Mm -hmm. And you know, our our governor didn't do that. Our lieutenant governor didn't do that. Our state health director they didn't do that. And to me, it's unacceptable. 
you know, Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough of Baylor University Medical Center in Texas, you probably know him, yeah. who I'm talking about. Yeah. He testified before the Texas legislature yep. that had the doctors prescribed these therapeutics, uh, we would have saved at minimum 85% of those who died from the coronavirus. Right. And, and this is going to go down in history as one of the biggest tragedies and mis- management and bad leadership mm-hmm. um, on these governors who did not go and look at the real science yep. and, and listen to some of our top doctors in the world. And instead of being led by politics and the media yep. and, and we're about saving people's lives and protecting the people and protecting our freedom yep. first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do you um, handle these? So I, I, I was running for County commissioner when I got arrested and some of the questions that I was kind of battling through is like, how do you handle all these things politically when you know that there's some who actually think that the pandemic's worse than it is? There's some who, there's definitely people who are fearful. And then there's some who, who don't want to rock the boat, even though they maybe disagreed with governor Ivy, they're still going to vote for her. You know, how, how are you kind of sorting through these issues where it's like, yeah, you, to me, it's very clear what happened, but I also know the heart of people and how fickle they can be. And, and, and so how do you kind of handle the truth in all this with trying to win their vote? Well, and that's it, trying to educate people on the, the truth. Mm-hmm. Like even it comes down to the true science on masks, you know, all the studies from Oxford and even that were done on the, that were on the CDC website, all the studies up until 2020 said, Masks do not stop any airborne virus, mm-hmm. any influenza-like virus. Masks don't stop yeah, it. Yeah. That's the science. That's the truth. Right. So what I've always been about as a pastor, and that's why I do a lot, a lot of my sermons are very extensive PowerPoints, yep. mm-hmm. proving my point, not just not just making statements. But You're starting to sound like a Calvinist to me, man. You know, like a good old Presbyterian Calvinist if you're doing that. <laughs> I, I just believe, I believe we can make our case and actually change minds. And I'm going to tell you, Alabama, 86% of Alabama claims to be Christian, yeah. not spiritual, but Christian. Now we know not all of them are, but that is huge amount of our state and a huge amount of our state. I, I can tell you this much. You go on Facebook, you go on social media, you go to these meetings that I'm going to, and I've been traveling the state now for about a year. You know, I started really early. Um, I would say 90% of the people I run into that, that identify as Republican or conservative or Christian, yeah. they're saying we cannot have a governor who does it first of all, look out for our lives and our first amendment rights. And we want her gone. That's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. so I think we have a real good shot and I can tell you the press here is scared of me. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, aren't you a pastor? And and if so, what's the you know what's the issue? Isn't there a separation of church and state here? <laughs> yes, I'm a pastor. Um, you know, Alabama was interesting. Of course, we know. I mean, probably all your listeners know that there's no such thing as the term separation of church and state in the Constitution or yeah. the Bill of Rights or the Declaration of Independence or anything. And again, we know that that was to separate the state from interfering with the church, uh-huh. which is, uh, you know, which goes along with what the First Amendment said. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or the free exercise there. It was to keep the government out of the church, not Christians out of government. Yep. Um, I, I've been doing my research on the Black Robe Regiment and yep. most Christians like like George Mason was he's the man responsible for at the Constitutional Convention for pushing for the Bill of Rights to be 
in the Constitution, and he was a devout Christian. Yep. Um, you had people like Benjamin Rush, our first Chief Justice, John Jay. All these guys were true born-again Christians that were all about the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were involved. They were governors. Um, they were, you know, they, they were very involved. Our founding fathers, and, and, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, for, you know, for the two centuries, they believe yeah. mm-hmm. that Christians should be involved mm-hmm. in our government. It wasn't a strange thing until now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Alabama had a pastor become governor in 1986. Okay. Yeah. So, um, are you, you know, how are you thinking about this? So I got, I got three topics I want to hit now. Kind of just topical right, right here. Um, taxes, uh, we're going to hit uh, public schools and abortion. All so right. regarding taxes... Uh, you know, right now in my state, um, uh, property taxes are going up, uh, you know, because right. house pricing going up, yada, yada, yada. I, I view, so I believe the government has a, a biblical role in taxing citizens and, and collecting right. tax. I have no problem with that. But I think there are certain taxing mechanisms that are just absolutely wicked. And right. and one of those is property tax. You don't really own your property. Just stop paying your property taxes, and you find out that you don't really own your property. And, and in addition to that, just like the whole mechanism of it, like the government comes and tells you how much your property is worth, and then they say, and you owe us this much based on what we're telling you how much it's worth. Judge, jury, verdict, right? If, if well, the government taxed, let's say, your carton of milk weekly without selling it. You know, just every week it just taxes a carton of milk and says, you owe us this much. You didn't sell that carton of milk this week. You still owe us this much and everything. Uh, that would create all sorts of wonky supply chain problems. You know, uh, the the need for the Federal Reserve to lower interest rates. I mean, like, that's that's what we've done in all this is, is we've created just one crazy ramification after another in all this. How do you think about taxes, property taxes, et cetera? Oh, you hit one of my pet peeves. Uh, property taxes is absolutely. I said that's one of the things we got to get, get rid of immediately. Uh, in Alabama, a lot of states don't have a grocery tax. We have a tax on groceries, um, which is ridiculous. We I just we hired um, a, la- a young lady that went through our ministry school to be our administrative assistant. She's from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and they don't have tax on their groceries. So there's a, there's taxes that I want to get rid of, and and but you, of course I agree that we you know the government has to run. We have to pave the roads and there's things we have to do. So we have to have taxes, but I do believe we can lower them. And uh, I'm, I'm talking with some experts and even a guy that advised the Trump administration on developing an economic and energy plan for Alabama. Cause Alabama is rich in uh, natural gas, oil. Mm. Uh, we have rivers, we have a lot of rivers. So we are actually working on a, a plan where we could cut property taxes, grocery taxes, maybe even lower our gas tax again, uh, build some refineries here yep. uh, and do some things that where we can lower taxes. And, you know, of course, and that's a conservative um, uh, Republican, a true platform of conservative Republicans is to lower taxes, not raise them. Right. So, and then of course, just cutting waste and mismanagement. I think we can do away with the, definitely do away with the property tax. It is the most unconstitutional tax. Yeah. I think that exists. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it does. And just watching, like, I know my property taxes are probably going to go up the next several years because it's going to play catch up with the market and it's probably going to price me out of my house. Just property taxes alone and how much they could go up. It's crazy. Uh, uh, regarding public schools, I, I think, um, well, I'll get to there in a second, but I think the Republicans 
do not have a strategy for public schools because they're scared of the teacher unions and they're scared of that whole, they don't want to touch it. But if Republicans yeah. don't have a solution for the public, the public schools, that is a, they're a losing party because all the public schools are largely doing or discipling our kids to grow up to become liberals and vote for liberals. That's it. That's largely what it's doing. Of course, you can get into critical race theory and all this other stuff that's starting to happen. But even before CRT and some of this other stuff, that you still had public school kids growing up and becoming liberal. Right, right. And then we've had that problem, uh, of course, uh, common, the Common Core curriculum that the Obama administration pushed on the states and basically bribed them and forced them to take because of federal money. Um, but uh, Common Core has been in Alabama now for over 10 years, and the Republicans allowed it. We have... We have a Republican supermajority in our state Senate and in our state House. We have had Republican governors, and yet we can't get rid of a socialist indoctrination that's also just a bad curriculum that's caused Alabama to be last in math and reading year after year after year. And what my what I want to do and what I believe is the right thing to do is that, especially here in Alabama, public education has failed. It's a failure. And they keep throwing more, a little bit more money at it every year, and it never changes. Right. I am a, I'm for a full school voucher program. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the state of Alabama has in the state constitution where it's written where we have to provide for the education of our children. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to just get. I want to do a total voucher system, and and then ultimately. Uh, ha privatize the schools and get the state out of it altogether. Right now, I know that's going to get the uh, Alabama Education Association uh, right. after me with all of their money. But I really don't care. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. Right. And uh, we found, you know, there's a there's a uh, charter school in Mobile, mm -hmm. and basically the state took its hands off of it, funds it, but took their hands off of it. Yeah. It's probably the best school in the state. Mm -hmm. When it comes down to public school, yeah, um, but we got to get Common Core out, and we've got to get the state out of control. It's yeah, just it, it's it seems like when we put the state in control of public education, you just you just inherently—I don't even know if that's the best word—but you've you've just inescapably made the public school system political. Like now, it's out for vote what curriculum could be taught. Now it's out for a vote, you know, LGBT curriculum or, and, and apparently it's out to vote if a woman or a man can decide or a, a high school boy could decide if he's a woman and use the girl's bathroom. Like you just politicized everything about it. And that's just the worst. And then our, our kids are kind of caught up in the middle of it. It just seems crazy to me that how we've politicized our education so much. Right. And I mean, it's so bad. Uh, you know, I mean, I survived it, but it was different too when, I was coming up going through public school. It still had its bad element to it, but it wasn't like it is now. And I have three daughters and not one of them has ever been inside of a public school to be taught anything right. uh, because I didn't want them indoctrinated. Right. All right. Now, now to abortion, um, the Southern Baptist convention basically passed this last week, basically kind of end abortion, abolish abortion legislate or, um, uh, resolution. Uh, and I think there's been a lot of, challenges with just in the pro-life movement the last probably 10 years and right. for me who i you know i probably started kind of waking up to the political scene and probably like 2003 four five kind of around that that time um and for the longest time i believed the pro-life industry was genuinely striving to end abortion 
Um, but now, as I've kind of overseen, uh, as of the last 15 years, I, I'm not getting a sense that the pro-life industry is that is fighting that hard to end abortion. They they tend to be more concerned about incrementalism, which I'm I would I would probably I would, my pastor uses the term uh, smash, smash mouth incrementalist. Um, you know, where I, I'm an incrementalist that would um, end abortion tomorrow if I could, um, right. but I'd also sign a heartbeat bill at the same time. Um, right. Where abolitionists, general abolitionists, are strictly like we don't support we don't support any incrementalism. It's either end abortion or nothing. I'm right. I'm for both. I'm for I'm for run all the plays kind of guy. Um, but given given that given who I am, that's not the pro life industry. The pro life industry largely seems to be caught up on kind of um, running incrementalists and making everybody kind of feel good about you know being pro life. Uh, but it's not that. Uh, where, where do you? Where are you at in this kind of conversation? You know, pro-life to abolitionists. Right. Well, you know, I I said this the other day, and then I was speaking to our uh, up in North Alabama to the uh, Morgan County Republican Party up there, and I'm I'm very clear. I would love to you know completely ban it, and but you have to be ready to do some things, and I am. I'll tell you the truth: if I became governor. I would definitely move to ban because I'm very passionate as well about the second amendment. And I believe that abortion is murder for plain and simple. Alabama has already done almost all they can do. We've pretty much banned it passed the law to ban it. And then of course, federal courts have tried to hold all that up and say, we can't do that, that it's not constitutional because of Roe v. Wade. But Here's what governors are going to be faced with in the days ahead. If let's let's say the Biden administration goes after firearms 100 yeah. percent um, and starts making federal laws, well, we're going to have to governors going to have to step up and put the Tenth Amendment uh, out there and say your your laws that you're making that you don't have the authority to make, whether it comes to our Second Amendment or abortion. Um, we just nullify. We're just not going to follow them. Right. In Alabama, abortion's illegal, mm-hmm. and you have no say so. Yep. And the governors are going to have to stand up and do that. Now, as governor, I would do that and just say we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, of course, they're going to they'll come back and try to say, well, we're just going to take our federal tax dollars, and you have to be willing to say, take your federal tax yeah. dollars and, yeah. and get out of here because right is right and wrong is wrong. And to me, it is murder, and there's no excuse. Uh, for it, and um, so you know, it's, I guess you, it, it's crazy to me. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy to me that this last year. So we had when our governor was running for governor, we had him on our show. I think this is two thousand. It must have been eighteen, I guess, or seventeen, when, or eighteen. And we were asking him these questions, uh, and and he would. Uh, we asked him, you know, if you could end abortion tomorrow, would you? And he said, well, that'd be really problematic because the federal government is the one that has made abortion legal. So we could, we'd have to, you know, basically he was looking at the Supreme Court decision of 1973 as law. We all know it's not law. Supreme Court doesn't make law, so forth, yada, yada, yada. But then this last year, I mean, he shut down all these businesses. He shut down free speech. He shut down churches. All of a sudden he, like, trampled on all our men, First Amendment rights as a governor, and yet he won't end abortion? Like, you're kind of on the wrong side of history when you're thinking this way. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I, 100%. And, that's, and again, this comes down to having principles and morals to lead you and not 
yep. just emotions yep. or the moment or the crisis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Supreme Court does not make law. Uh-huh. Just because they ruled on Roe v. Wade, they've made bad, bad rulings before. Mm-hmm. Um, the Supreme Court is not this all-seeing, all-knowing, perfect entity. Yeah. And this is where people are wronging. But, you know, our founding fathers were brilliant in putting that Tenth Amendment in there uh, yep. because it was put there so we could stop a federal government that was going beyond its power and authority and even committing murder, which abortion is murder. So. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, I, the problem I have, I think with you is that you keep bringing up the constitution and it really, it really, it really does seem like the constitution doesn't matter like it used to in all this. I mean, look at governor Ivy and what she's done. It's like people and people just tend to care more about how their leaders, uh, uh, I think serve them, make them feel that kind of stuff than actually the constitution, because even our people don't really appeal to the constitution much anymore. I mean, is there really a viable case for you in Alabama with the way you're talking? In Alabama, there is. I can't speak for every other state, but I, there's a lot of people in Alabama that realize. I think. I think what happened was a lot of people were so busy with their lives, and like most Americans, we get caught up in everything we're doing, yeah. and we just kind of let our leaders do what they want. Uh-huh. This coronavirus thing really has shaken. I know it has shaken our state, yeah. and people are like you know they forced us to not go to church. They forced us to wear these masks on our face. Um, you know, there's been a big uprising about the, the idea that they may try to force and mandate the vaccines as well. And yeah. I'm very much opposed to yeah. uh, vaccine forcing, mandating vaccines. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think there's been a real awakening here. And, you know, there's even I even discovered my one of my first speeches I did um, back when all this began, even during the, the coronavirus on the steps of our capital mm-hmm. was about the law. There's a law, uh, U.S. Code 18, Section 242. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's called the deprivation of rights under color of law. Okay. And basically it states that any official, any government official, police officer, governor, it doesn't matter, federal state official that violates uh, anyone's constitutional rights, mm-hmm. that that is punishable by fines or imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And what some of these governors don't realize, more than Democrat or Republican, that when they violated the First Amendment, especially by shutting down churches, that was an obvious one. Yep. Um, they they broke that Code 18, title, U.S. Title Code 18, mm-hmm. Section 240. They broke the law. And and the problem is, is that we need attorney generals, yeah, uh, both state and federal, yep. that would prosecute mm-hmm. these people. And if they would, mm-hmm. folks would wake up and go, you know what? I need to respect the constitutional rights of Americans. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was one of the things, you know. Again, kind of, I've really, um, this last year, realized how important, like, the attorney general is, how important lieutenant governor is, how important, the you know, there's a number of other, you know, secondary roles that we have tended not to pay attention to much in the past. And now, like, our attorney general has just, I mean, given no legal, I mean, one of the main jobs of the attorney general is to give legal opinion on stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and he just, you know, order after order that a governor's given, he's given no legal opinion on. Nothing. Zilch. And it's super frustrating, and and we should have clarity on what the law really says, and he won't do it. Um, right. And so there should be, like, real accountability in that executive process. And fortunately, our attorney general is elected, not appointed here. Um, and so we can we can um, vote for him. The lieutenant governor is elected. Um, and 
uh, you know, in uh, as the as the gen, uh, governor is elected, they actually run at the same time, lieutenant governor, and governor. Um, so we kind of got a, I think, an interesting, a little interesting process in how we can have accountability here. But our lieutenant governor in our state was the only one who like stood up and said, "No, this isn't right." Not the mm-hmm. attorney general, and like even not a lot of the legislators. Um, some of them did, uh, but we we're just we we're just stuck in this. You know, as soon as legislative session got out, the governor never called him back to emergency session. Actually, he did call him back one time. But in our state, when the governor calls back an emergency session, he defines what gets talked about. He defines what gets voted on. That's it. You can't bring anything else up. And so uh-huh. we have we have this silly political po- process that has absolutely protected our governor here in our state. Um, you know, one of my problems, I think my generation, I'm 41 years old. I was born in 79. Um, I think my generation tends to have a more of a distrust for politicians than your generation. Um, uh, and so I have a hard time. And I, I grew up in Texas where the politicians, they, they come across as your best friend. You know, you can shake their hand and they make you feel like part of the family in a minute. Uh, and, and it feels very genuine and all that stuff. And then they go around and, and vote very opposite of what you believe they were going to do. Um, you know, how, you know, I even just, when I went to interview you, when I went to email you, when I went to, I was like, I, I know you were a pastor, but like, I just have this significant distrust for anyone who says they're going to be a politician and go into office. Um, I don't, I, I guess I really don't have much of a question here besides like, you know, how do you handle that, you know, and gain trust when our politicians are, are crazy? <laughs> well, well, and again, it's okay. I'll give you an example how one, one meeting that I did, I spoke to um, another North, county up north of Alabama to their GOP group. And right before I got up, this this Republican state representative got up and began to try to explain to this to his, you know, this is his county, his group, his, you know, his district. He tried to explain to them why he did not pass uh, or, or get past the constitutional carry in the Second Amendment Preservation Act. And he was making all these excuses about how the, the sheriffs need money and all this stuff. And, and so, and, and I think actually they set it up for him to speak in front of me almost to try to intimidate me into not confronting this issue. But let me tell you, when I got up, by the time I got up there, I I was like a ticking time bomb, like a hand grenade. I just went off on, you know, that whole, the whole, I called him a weekly Republican. Uh, These people in, in Montgomery, I started talking about the second amendment, and how I'm not, I shouldn't have to pay for the Second Amendment. I said, what's going to happen since the sheriffs need money? Am I going to have to buy a permit for my free speech or to go to church? I said, this is ridiculous. It's time we stop selling, uh, you know, our rights for money. And I told him, you know, I said, Jesus, and I've been preaching to him, man. I told him, Jesus said we cannot serve God in money. We have God-given rights, and you guys are worried about money. And let me tell you something. They were clapping and cheering for me, and he hung his head and wanted to run out the, the back door. And so what I'm saying is I think people can tell when you're not a duplicitous politician and that you, you care. Yeah. See, the reason people – I think the reason people jumped on board with Trump is because we know at the time Trump was not a born-again Christian or anything like that. But his his speech was sincere. I mean, Trump was a multi-billionaire. You know, yeah. He didn't need a job. He didn't need power. Right. And, you know – when people saw that he was serious and then of course they gave him a chance and he got in there and did what he said he was going to do. Right. Yep. Um, 
And I think that that's all you got to do. I think people can discern most people. Now there's a lot of, I get some of the cynicism where they just say, Oh, you're just another politician. And we've had these Alabama politicians come tell us they're going to do this and that. And then they don't. I said, well, I understand. I fully understand you've been disappointed and hurt and deceived many times. I said, all I can tell you is I haven't been one of them for 34 years. Uh, my sermons in my sermons are what I believe about God, what I believe about politics, what I believe about being an American. Mm-hmm. I said, those things haven't changed in 34 years. So I'm not going to change by taking in this job. I'm going to actually try to make it what it's supposed to be. And I think a lot of people are seeing that. And they actually, a lot of people are telling me that you've given me hope for the first time that we might actually have a governor that will stand for the people and not for the special interest. Well, Dean, man, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, you know, blessings you. on the race. Next time we get you on, we got to talk about um, our disagreements between Baptists, Assemblies of God, and why you need to be more Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> have, a, have a good race stay in touch um, hang on the line and we'll say our goodbyes when we get off but uh, everybody thank you for joining us uh, make sure you hang in there for our Sunday special on Sunday night we got a great show coming for you on Sunday night Knox will be back in the studio uh, and then if you haven't subscribed become a subscriber download the app uh, until next time love God and go fight laugh and feast <laughs> <laughs>